I am Brooklyn-based psychotherapist Nikita Banks, and I am your host of the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. If you would like to reach out to us for feedback or show suggestions, show topics, please feel free to contact us at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to new or past episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. If you are having trouble listening to us on your preferred platform, or if you want us to be on a platform that we're not currently on, make sure that you send us a private message on our Instagram page at Black Therapist Podcast, or you can just drop us a message or send us an email at blacktherapistpodcast.com. If you want insider tips, resources, and access to our free mental health course, make sure that you text Get Happy to 66866. And my new book, Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy, is available right now on Amazon. You can go to our website or go to our Instagram pages and click the link and purchase because we want to help you get your relationships together for 2018 and beyond. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Let's get started. Hey guys, so on this week's episode, we have Lisa Savage. Uh, She is an amazing businesswoman. She mentors a lot of young therapists of color that I know. Everybody loves her. She has a thriving and one of the largest, I think she said one of the largest group practices in Delaware where she provides mental health services to to youths in school. And so it was imperative that I have her on and it's imperative that I have her back to talk to us today about how to foster resilience in young people as well as other things. Oh my God. So it's come to my attention. We were off a few platforms. iTunes was one or Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We were having some issues there. If there are any technical glitches in your area and you're having an issue listening to our show, please let me know because I want to help resolve those issues. And I did. And our numbers exploded. Now, it really wasn't a big deal for me because, you know, if there are only seven or eight listeners, which there are not, there are a lot more than that. But if there are only seven or eight listeners, it's my intention to be the messenger and not control who gets the message. But I think part of what I've, I've expressed on this show is the reason that I really do this is because I want to raise awareness about removing the stigma for people of color getting mental health services. And I can only do that if the platforms work where they work. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for bringing that to my attention because I resolved some of those issues and I'm still working on others. But the traffic is amazeballs. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. And since I'm, I'm looking at the analytics, I want to give a huge shout out to our listeners in the United States, Canada, United Kingdoms, United Arab Emirates, South Africa, and Barbados, okay? As well as you, I want to thank you for listening, wherever it is that you are in the world. Our book, Finding Happy, my first book, Finding Happy, I actually got the actual copy of the book. Oh! came in today and shout out to Amazon for losing my package and making me wait umpteen days for uh to get my own book 
for to see it, for to see it. Who the hell am I? What is this Shakespeare? Anyway, uh, for me to get my book, it took me forever to get it. Uh, shout out to Lynn Denise of Brooklyn 718. I don't know what her social media handle is for sending me a picture of her reading my book. If you send me a picture of you reading my book, I'm telling you, I'm gonna do something special for you. I don't know. I don't know what yet. But trust me, the holidays are coming. I'm going to have a gift or a resource or a special tool for you. So I want to shout out uh, the people that I know who have bought the book. They've, they've reached out to me and they said they've bought the book. And I just want you to know that not only do I appreciate you, but I wrote the book for you. Uh, if 10 people buy the book, those are the 10 people that needed to have it. It's how I look at things. I... I, I my job as a creator is to only create and allow the audience that needs to have my message hear it. I'm not really tied into what, where it lands because sometimes the audience you think that you should be performing in front of is not the audience that is yours. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm just creating content and I'm giving you guys good works so that I could be helping to improve your life and your lifestyle in a way that promotes health and happiness. And for me, the only way that I know that I can do that is by mastering my mind and mastering my emotions and my thoughts and my behaviors. That's the only way that I know that I'm going to be able to be disciplined enough to live the life that I want to live. And I want to help you, you know, use me as a resource and use the, the tools and the information that I have to help improve your life. And like I said, this book probably is not going to make me rich. I think I said that before. It might. It might. You guys might make me rich off the book. I doubt it. But um, my goal is to bring it to women of color so that you know that you no longer have to suffer through relationships that don't serve you. Okay? So we are right now going to get into this week's episode. Once again, we want to welcome Lisa Savage to the show. All right, so uh, Lisa, introduce yourself. So my name is Lisa Savage. I am an LCSW licensed clinical social worker. I actually live in Baltimore, um, but my practice is in Delaware. Um, the name of my practice is the Center for Child Development, plus I also have an adult practice, which is called Delaware Center for Counseling and Wellness. So that's a little bit about who I am professionally. Okay. Um, and I know you do a lot of work with children. Yep. Yep. I do. So in my child practice, um, it's uh, mostly children, although we, we do work with adults there because uh, kids obviously come attached with an adult, whether or not it's a parent, a foster parent. Um, or, or a grandparent who's taking care of that child. So a lot of that practice is almost exclusively community-based and school-based. Um, and it started with a vision, Nick, that I had, oh my gosh, back in probably early 2000s, I had this vision for a practice in Delaware that would serve the needs of children and and it came because what I saw was a lack of services to children and particularly children of color mm -hmm. so there was this one agency that still still exists in Delaware that was serving all the kids but they had waiting lists and they did not have any therapists of color so 
that was my vision. Um, and so here we are 18 years later and, um, my vision has come to fruition. Um, I, I am, I own the largest private practice in Delaware. So it, I feel very proud about that. Um, because I started off as an individual practitioner. I had a little teeny tiny office, but like I said, I had this vision of wanting to provide services to underserved communities because I saw where their needs were not being met. Mm -hmm. And, um, how long have you been in business? So I started my, my private practice as a solo practitioner back in 2000. And then I, let's see, my, I hired my, I hired a, a part-time therapist probably about in 2002. And then it really took off in 2010 is where I experienced the biggest growth. So, um, started off with about five therapists and now we're up to 32 therapists and, um, looking to bring on at least three or four more therapists by the end of the year. So really, um, steady, but, um, upward growth. Um, and, and, and part of that is because we, I had to continue to rise to meet the needs of the community. Delaware is very small. Um, it's a tiny, tiny state. And, um, so because we're known as community-based, school-based mental health practitioners, we get tons of referrals because, um, because of what we do and where we do it. So the need for child mental health, unfortunately, is growing. I've seen a steady incline in the needs of children. Um, and there are various reasons why. We can talk about that later, why, why the need is increasing. But from a business perspective, it has grown um, out of sheer need to, uh, to meet the demand for the services that we provide. Okay. And mm -hmm. if you've listened to the show, <laughs> most of mm -hmm. my listeners know working with children yep. is not my favorite. <laughs> and I, 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 for me, it is exactly what you said, is that children come with parents. Mm -hmm. And I, um, it mm -hmm. is my belief that um, the children is a symptom of something that's wrong in the family, not the problem. Yep. And what happens is that yep. adults are less pliable to change than the children are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my role as a therapist with anybody, but especially with children, is to give them a mm -hmm. voice and honor that. And mm -hmm. that is against everything that my mother wanted mm -hmm. for me to have. <laughs> she just needed me to right. shut up. And do what she said, uh -huh. right? And so, uh -huh. yep. um, for me, the challenge of working with children is not something that I that I, I even think about doing as much. Yeah, I yeah. know why. Yeah, I, I know that initially I got mm -hmm. into the business to work with children. Mm -hmm. But how is it that mm -hmm. you're able to kind of make these connections with the child? And the family in, in, yeah. in school-based yeah. environments, because it's very hard to do. Yeah. I've done that work before. 
Right. I mean, that's a very, very good question because working with kids is very difficult. Um, and and I, when I hear a lot of young, my, my niece is getting her master's in social work and she's like, oh, at least I want to work with kids. And I often challenge her about why she wants to work with kids because it's very, very hard work. We work with a lot of kids who have um, wounding from their environments, trauma um, from their environments, trauma that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so these kids come with a level of distrust, um, emotional um, dysregulation, meaning they, they, they have a hard time regulating their emotions. So they you know, may have temper tantrums, they may become aggressive, they're, they're defiant. Um, so I did not start out wanting to be a child therapist. I mean, that was not what I wanted to do. Like most therapists, I wanted to work with adults. Um, but I, I started, what, what I realized, um, what's really funny is that when, my, when I was growing up, my mom was a teacher. So there were always kids around, always kids around. And um, what I realized as I started working professionally with kids is that I had a, a, a unique ability to connect with kids. And I always liked working in um, the inner city. I felt like those kids or um, kids who come from the inner city were kids that I could relate the most to. And I think because of the genuineness, the, uh, uh, the, the, the desire to really connect with them, the desire to really hear them, and to be present with them is really, to me, the therapy. Now, since I've become a child therapist, I've gotten tons of training, um, and I have tons of experience working with kids. I have 18 years of experience working with kids, ages two years and up. But in my opinion, and, and this is my professional opinion, the relationship and your ability to connect with kids is the healing part. So um, I, I tell therapists that I supervise, please don't worry about the techniques in the beginning. Please don't worry about the theory. Please focus on showing up for that kid, being consistent, setting limits with that kid, um, and showing that you care. And if you can establish that in the beginning, then you can make tremendous um, grows with that with that child, and so as I discovered, I had that ability to do that with children, teenagers. Um, I knew that that was my calling. I knew that working, and I, mean, I do still see adults, so, but I knew that I had to rise to that calling, and thus the dream that I had about having this private practice that focused exclusively on kids. But it really is about being sincere. Kids, as you know, um, can pick up on people who aren't sincere and who don't care about them. Um, they, they really can. And, and when I work with teachers, like I try to tell them, you're not going to get anywhere with kids unless you're able to establish a relationship with them. Yelling, screaming at them is just not going to do it. And so understanding that, knowing how to connect with kids, I think has helped me to be a better therapist, but also helped me to be able to train 
other providers in doing the same thing. My niece as well is a therapist. Um, actually, she just got her, her LMSW, and now um, she's she's working, and she said the same exact thing. Oh, wow. Oh, I want to be a, a, a school therapist, and I'm like, uh, you don't even like children. Yeah. You, yeah. you got to know your limits, and... You know, now right, she's right, actually right. so they actually live right. in Maryland. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and she she's working, I think, in D.C. for uh, kind of a mobile crisis unit uh-huh. Uh-huh. that goes into the schools. Okay. Oh, cool. And the challenges that she faces, she she tells me. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. It's it's so imperative. Mm-hmm. You, I'm, I'm sure that your niece knows this now, but you're you're like a mentor to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so imperative to kind of have somebody to talk about yep. Yep. these issues yep. and the things that you go through in the field. Because when I graduated, I didn't really have any black people. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. To talk about what it. the hell was going you on at it. work. You got it. And then even with my partner, I would come home and I would be like, he would he would try me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would try me, and then I would be like, "Well, you know what? Let's let's really talk about what what's really going on, yeah. like what the underlying issues are." And he'd be like, "Don't come psychoanalyze. Yep. I want your book. You know, yep. you psychoanalyze." Yep. Listen, <laughs> listen. So, I, I know that you you take mentorship very, um, very yeah. seriously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in what you do. Mm-hmm. What is the role of having mentors, or at least being able to build a I'll say culturally competent mm-hmm. community. Yeah. To be able to support you in this yeah. work. You know, Nick, that is so important to me because when I um, started out in private practice, I was one of maybe three black therapists in the entire state that was in private practice. And people look oh, back, <laughs> people look back from that and they laugh and they can't believe it. But again, remember where I was practicing, it was Delaware. Um, um, and so there just there was like maybe maybe three of us. I mean, one was my mentor, who was Dr. Alvin Turner, who's a psychologist. Me and maybe one other person um, who worked where we call Downstate, which is Lower Delaware. And so as I, um, you know, I kind of became a de facto mentor to other people because I was the the only. African-American therapist in the area for a long time. But I take that role very, very seriously because, one, I feel like as black people, black therapists, black professionals, we have a, a, a responsibility to our community. And, yep. and that is to be reputable. That is to always operate with integrity. And that is to provide them with the best service that they could experience. And so I, I I pound that into people that I mentor about the importance of us showing up in our communities, representing, not being afraid to use our voices to speak out against racism and injustices. Because I'm a social worker, so I'm a therapist, but I'm also an activist and an advocate. You better tell it. Okay? So I I have to use my voice, my platform, my authority as a social worker in a small community to say, this isn't right. Um, And to advocate for people who look like you and I. And so when I I mentor people, that's my soapbox. 
is that you got to show up. You got to be reputable. You got to have integrity. You got to do things the right way. And you have to represent the best professionalism that you can offer to our people because we deserve it. We deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I hear stories of uh, people of color, black people not being treated well by other professionals, it yep. sends me soaring. <laughs> so yeah. that's, you know, that's my whole shtick when I'm mentoring other professionals is really about how we carry ourselves, our professionalism and how we treat the clients that we work with. I know some black therapists who don't want to work with black people. And that just always shocks me. It just amazes me. Um and, it, and that's that's troubling to me. Um, but my go ahead. So a little story about me. Yeah. So when I when I first decided that I was going to go to therapy, mm-hmm. I made the decision that I didn't want to go to a black therapist. Interesting. Yes. Um, I had gone to listeners of the show probably know I've gone to therapy three times in my life. The first time was when I was pregnant with my son and me and his dad were not getting along. Okay. And I was I was having a high risk pregnancy on top of that. Um, so I had this old little white woman. <laughs> perfect. Uh-huh. She was she was perfect uh-huh. for, for what she was. Uh-huh. Um, and she got me through the birth, which was what her job was. And then after that, I stopped going. Mm-hmm. The second time I was a victim of a crime, I went to a white woman, mm-hmm. young girl, who now, being that I'm in the field, I figure she probably was an intern. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Because I told her something traumatic. Yeah. It wasn't traumatic to me. It was just family history, right? right? I'm just right. rattling stuff off. And she started to cry. Right. Yep. And I said, this bitch think I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm, not coming, I'm not coming back anymore. Exactly. So that was number two. And then the, the third time was when I was like, I'm depressed and I need some help. Yeah. And, you know, I'm talking to the people around me and everybody around me is like, this is normal. And I, mm-hmm. y'all are crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to get somebody to talk yep. to. Yep. That time I intentionally went to therapy. And I did not want to go to anyone black because I felt that black people were so used to suffering. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody Mm -hmm. that was going to over identify Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. my issues. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody that was going to minimize what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And ideally I wanted a black, a a white man Uh because I wanted somebody who was super entitled (laughs) <laughs> to get every single thing that he wanted out of life mm-hmm. and that was what was missing from me and I wanted somebody to teach me that mm-hmm. wow wow and so I, what ended up happening I went to my doctor and I told her I like was bawling and crying I, it was so bad my family doctor I've been going to for over 20 years mm-hmm. she gave me an antidepressant wow Be, because she was like you know, now I, like I said, now that I'm in the field, I get it. Yep. She, she just wanted to stop me from crying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in my mind, I was like, you know, if I took it for a few days and, but my system, I can't take anything that doesn't make everything makes me nauseous. Mm. So I had a lot of energy. It was like, I was drinking coffee and I'm not a coffee drinker, Whoa. but, but I, it was making me sick. So that come down was like something I couldn't deal with. Yeah, yeah. So I said, she gave me a referral to a therapist. Let me go to this therapist first and see 
if this medication is even necessary because I love my doctor, but mm-hmm. she's she ain't no therapist. She's not no right. You know, psychiatrist. Right, 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 right. What ended up happening was she sent me to this little Jewish guy uh-huh. who was not only a great therapist. He grew up in the project. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> okay. And he was perfect for me because I didn't have to explain the black stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to explain the poverty. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to to explain, you know, growing up in the inner city because he had that down pat. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to explain oppression in the minority structure right. because he was a minority growing up in the projects mm-hmm. as a Jew. Yep. 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 So I got the best of both worlds in picking him. I'm not going to get emotional. My therapist is sick right now. Uh, so I can't go back. Uh, uh, which is a whole nother thing. Yeah, God. But um, when I went to school and I made the decision that I wanted to be a therapist, mm-hmm. I was afraid that people would feel about me the way I felt about black therapists. And I was like, oh my God, what if they don't want to come to me? Because I didn't want to go to a black therapist. Right, right. And it wasn't that I didn't think that black people could do the work, it was just that I wanted a whole brand new way of thinking. Yeah. That I Uh didn't want to come go to somebody who over identified with me culturally. I just wanted something brand new. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So what I found, um, and I've never seen, let me see, I've never seen a white therapist. I've had two black therapists before. But I sent a friend of mine, African-American male, to a therapist, white therapist. And what I found happened was that she was so overtaken with his charm, his good looks, and his intelligence that she didn't see his issues. And that, that was kind of an eye-opener to me because she was like, but you're so well-spoken, but, you know, you're, you're an attractive man, and, you know, you're really smart. And he's going, but I'm, I'm depressed, I'm, I'm sad, I'm, you know, I'm not happy with myself. She could not get beyond all the other things that I think were maybe – uh, subconsciously surprising to her and so consequently he never went back to a therapist because he felt like he didn't she she didn't see him exactly exactly yeah. exactly so it's just interesting you know how we we kind of make those decisions um about who to see i mean the key is i think for any of us is to find somebody who we can relate to and we feel like relates to us it's like you said about the the older jewish guy he he understood um, the things that that you were bringing to the therapeutic um, room. He got it. He understood it. Um, but sometimes it's missed. And and if I had had the opportunity to go back to that white therapist and say, "Listen, you missed it. You did not see him." I would have, and, and probably should have, um, because it wasn't intentional on her part. Um, but it's, it's those microaggressions that we deal with as people mm-hmm. of color when we go to therapy sometimes and it's not, it's not, um, again, I don't think it was intentional on her part. I just feel like it was, it was her own biases coming through, which is therapists. We have to constantly check. 
Yeah, they don't like it. No. no. They don't like no. it. I worked for an organization that was very, very good. Actually, it was a school-based organization that's very popular here in New York City. Um, I won't say their names because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm about to tell a bad story. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but I love, I loved my supervisor. She was amazing. And the organization, for the most part, was amazing. Mm-hmm. So we used to have these trainings in the summertime because, as you know, kids are not usually in school. Right. And it was what was great about this is from the top down, we were all social workers. Ah. So even our CEO was a social okay. worker. Okay. But they weren't in the field. I'm not sure if they were still training. I'm not even sure if he was, he was even licensed at this point, right? Mm-hmm. But the great part about them is that we, the... Those of us in the field would come back into the office and train the upper staff. Okay. So there was this one day where we were having a training about culturally competence for cultural competence for L- the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And like I was posting stuff on on Instagram, it was like you know signs because we had signs talking about anal and science talking about whatever because mm-hmm. we were really just like talking about talking to kids you know we usually work in high schools but talking mm-hmm. to age appropriately right. to kids about sexual mm-hmm. um, identity right. and even behaviors yep. and so we were having this conversation and one of the white staff staffers I'm not sure she, she actually she was a social worker <laughs> mm. she made a comparison between being black and being gay. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> wow. And so, of course, mm-hmm. the black therapist, she raised her hand. Yeah. And I said, um, my apologies. I know, but we're in a cultural competence training. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's not the same. Yep. You cannot, I know that it feels the same to people who don't know that it's not the same. Yep. But I cannot yep. pretend to be white. Yep. Yep. I cannot pretend to be anything other than a black woman because yep. that's how you see me. Got it. Absolutely. And there are plenty of people in society that we don't know are gay, that yep. we don't know are struggling mm-hmm. with sexual identity issues, that we don't know are dealing with, you know, th- that they're the other. Yep. They're not gender, non-conforming, binary. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're struggling with these issues. Yep. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can not know that I'm a black woman. You got it. And that shows got up it. in every single space. Yep. And she was like, you're wrong. <gasps> oh, she had to know to challenge you. Oh, jeez. And she was a supervisor. Mm. And I was like, scary. oh, shit. That's scary. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Wow. But what I loved about the organization is I went to lunch with the other three black th- three black therapists that worked for the organization and one of my my um good friends who you know she identifies as queer mm-hmm. we went to lunch and they were like unbelievable i cannot believe that she did this whatever and we were like decompressing yeah and i came back from lunch and my supervisor called me upstairs we trained downstairs she called me upstairs to the offices i was like "Uh oh what the hell <laughs> and i get upstairs and she said to me we spoke to the woman and she's going to apologize to you wow okay we want to know if you will accept our like on behalf of the organization our apology wow and um if you will accept her apology. 
And I was like, to me? <laughs> right. Wow. So she came back to me and she was like, you know, they spoke to me and they talked to me about my privilege. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I understand that as a black woman, you are the authority in this issue. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I apologize. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to work here forever. <laughs> because where do they do yep, that? Exactly. Yep. You got it. Um, wow. That's impressive. I didn't work there forever. But what ended up happening was my old, my supervisor, the one that came back to me and was like, she's going to apologize. She was wrong. And another coworker of mine was a woman of color. What they do now is they do restorative trainings for people of, I mean, to teach corporations how to be culturally diverse. Oh, wow. And how to deal with these kinds of issues. And I was like, y'all go. Yeah, okay. And do this work because it is so necessary. And coming from an environment like that and then coming from an ultra-white environment Uh in Queens... Trump, Trump, mm-hmm. there was a huge, there was, there was a sign bigger than me mm. Mm. for Trump mm. 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 when he first, when he first ran and dealing with all of the racial issues in that office and having other black clients tell me they don't want to work with a black clinician and tell them white people come to me and say that they don't like white people in there. And then having coworkers who were not culturally competent right. or responsive right. or even caring mm. Mm. I was like, I got to get out of here. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And yep. So I know the challenge of dealing with microaggressions yeah. Yeah. and BS in the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they, and like the whole time I worked there, we had no cultural responsive training. And the one training that we did have was the day after the election. Wow. Wow. And I walked in that office and I was like, I don't want to look at y'all today. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not doing white people right now. I'm right, sorry. Exactly. 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 And thank God they were like, okay, we get it. Right. Right. Because the whole entire office, all the white women, they were like, unfucking believable. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. But um, I, I brought you on initially to talk about how to foster and build resilience mm-hmm. in children. Uh-huh. But then an incident happened this week, and I want to get your take about it. Uh-huh. How do you feel about spankings uh-huh. and beatings yeah. of our babies? Oh, this is always a hot topic because... Because I got an opinion. <laughs> yeah, I have one, too. I believe that spankings and beating our kids only further traumatizes them. I, I'm adamant against any type of physical discipline of children. I'm, I'm adamant against it um, because um, I feel like it's, it's violence. Um, and, and people always say to me when I express my opinion about it <laughs> is that, um, then, you know, how do you discipline your kids? But I'm a firm believer that we can discipline our kids without inflicting violence on them. Um, I was spanked as a kid, not often, but mm-hmm. my parents, um, spanked me. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to, I remember one distinct spanking that I got from my dad. What hurt me more than the spanking was that I had disappointed him. I, I was just so 
so hurt by that. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, so I did, I did grow up uh, with parents who spanked and used, um, you know, spanking as a form of discipline. And, and, I, and I wasn't a bad kid, and so I didn't get spanked that often. My brother did. My older brother was spanked very badly. And when I remember the spankings, it's traumatizing to me. Um, because he, you know, he, he was extremely rebel, rebellious child. Um, but when they was beating him all the time. Yeah. 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 People don't see that causal yeah. relationship yeah. between. Yeah, exactly. That. Exactly. Yes. And so he was rebelling because that was the way he had control. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, when I think back on it, I'm traumatized by it because that was not pleasant to witness. Even if as a child you didn't understand really what was going on, it was not pleasant to witness. And so um, I don't know that that shaped how I feel, but as a child therapist and knowing especially children in um, some communities where they are traumatized by other things, mm-hmm. I feel like the last thing they need is to have further traumatization in their own homes um, by parents who are spanking them. You, know, you, you, you touched on something that I never even thought about before. I was spanked a lot. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I was rebellious. Wow. I was inquisitive. Yep. I was smart. Yep. So you wasn't going to just tell me any old thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as an adult yep. and a, as a parent who spanked, because I did spank in the beginning, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I realized that a lot of what I was getting spanked for, I was set up mm-hmm. about. For example, I remember one summer getting spanked every single day felt like to me for get, going outside after they sent me outside to play and right, getting dirty. Right, right. Like, how the hell are you going to send me outside to play, but you don't want me dirty? Wow. So I would just go play mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and deal with the beating when I came in the house because it's like, I'm going to mm-hmm. play now. Y'all sending yep. me outside to play. Yep. Yep. So that don't make exactly. no sense because that was just literally me doing age appropriate of behaviors. Of course. Right? Yes. So that's number one. And number number two, the thing that I, like when you told me about your brother, I realized my sister, she didn't get beat that often. But my sister didn't cry when you hit oh, her. Oh, wow. Wow. Like, I remember my sister just not crying. Like, I'm not giving yep. you nothing. You could be, you yep. don't feel like yeah. it. You ain't getting exactly. no response out of me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And my sister is probably one of the meanest people yeah. I wow. know. Wow. Love yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's given almost, there's three of us. She's given everybody in the family black eyes. <laughs> it's, not it's not funny. It's not funny, but she's getting, she, like, literally giving everybody oh, black Lord eyes. Jesus. And she is so shut down from her emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I feel like crying. I and I, I, I don't, I won't say it's because she got beat. But I can mm-hmm. say I understand yeah. Yeah. if it is because yep. she got beat. I get it, Nick. I do. 
because she did not cry. She wasn't giving you nothing. And I would watch her because usually if she if she got beat, I got beat too because we probably right. <laughs> but I remember watching her like in amazement, like because I, I was crying just right. thought of it. Of I was crying because she of was course. giving. Of course, of course. Wow. But as a as a as a clinician in the field and as a parent, I often told this story that never really. Sometimes it lands, mm-hmm. but sometimes it it, mm-hmm, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week, I'm the reason I'm bringing it up now, although because I'm speaking to the authority on children, but the reason that I'm bringing it up is because there was a post on Facebook of a child having a meltdown in the store and a mama walking away from it. Black child. And I have a friend who I, I, I love. I met uh, in Paris. He posted mm-hmm. it and he was like, oh, I see you beat him. Professional, smart, yeah. yep. intelligent, yep. mandated mm-hmm. reporter. He was like, I spanked her. And I was like, we, we, number one, we don't know if that child has any limitations from watching that video. Right. Number two, I think the parent did an excellent job because all she did was literally ignore this child and walk away. Number three, we are watching it because somebody filmed it. That means if she would have beat that child, somebody was filming it. Yep. Yep. Got it. And number four, you want this black woman to put this black child in, in this black child to end up in the mm-hmm. system. Yep. This don't make no sense to yep. me. Yep, because that's what would have happened. Absolutely. Wow. So as a young mother who watched my sister mm-hmm. with her three children and watched my mother with her three mm-hmm. children, I spanked mm-hmm. my child. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, well, shout out to his godmother for being a CPS worker. Mm-hmm. So there right, was that. Right. That kept me right. Right, right, right. But you know, she West Indian, we West Indian. Okay. I spank him. She wasn't gonna take him away from us. Right. Right. But <laughs> but when he got five, I remember having a conversation mm-hmm. with him. And I was listening to something on the radio and I asked him, because he's he's extremely he is extremely mm-hmm. bright, but he was always extremely bright. Right. Like extra verbal at you know, before he oh, was one, okay. mimicking sounds at like Good six Lord, months. Okay. Yeah, he said, "I love you." Whoa. At six months, the strangest oh, thing ever. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, and he's always excelled in school. Extremely mm-hmm. intelligent. But at five, I remember taking him home from school and asking him, "If you could make me a better mother, what what oh. would that look like?" Wow. And he said, "You spanked me." And you yell too much. Oh, girl. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And I said, those is all facts. Yeah. You're actually yeah. you're factually correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, you know what, Aru? You control stupid. It's such a parenting thing to say now that I'm in this field, <laughs> right? You control whether or not I spank you and if, if I yell. Like, you control me. Yep. And he's mm-hmm. five, and you can't control yourself, yep. right? So <laughs> I said, you control the reactions to, to what it is that I do, but I'm going to, as of this day, I promise you, if you can stop doing the things that make me scream and yell and spank, I'm going to stop. Oh, wow. And he said, deal. <laughs> so what I did was I went home, and I got a, I got a mm-hmm. board a whiteboard and I wrote all of the things that he did that just like pissed me mm-hmm. off to the highest heights of mm-hmm. passivity. 
leaving his shoes in the middle of the floor, spilling stuff and saying he didn't right. know who did it. Um, you know, leaving his Tonka trucks uh-huh. in the floor and I'm, I slip on them and I fall. And like putting his book bag, popping the book bag in the middle of like all the things that he would do, not clean up his room. Mm-hmm. Like, so I wrote all of the things that really just made me mad and I put it up on a roll. And on top of that, I put punishments are the consequences of mm-hmm. my actions. And so I was like, I gotta punish him in some sort of way. He, we had a rule in my house that we do the, you come home from school, you do your homework first, then you watch right. TV. If you took you all day to do right. your homework, then you wasn't right. gonna watch the right. TV. So sometimes we were down to like, and he was in advanced classes. Uh-huh. So some days he was down to like maybe an hour, 40 minutes of TV. Oh my God. <laughs> oh girl. So what I did was, is for each infraction, I took away 10 minutes of his mm-hmm. teaching time. Mm-hmm. And he had to go to bed mm-hmm. 10 minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. What I learned from that was that a lot of the things that I was responding to were age-appropriate behaviors. <laughs> yes, he's going to spill yep. stuff on the floor and lie yep. about it if he thinks I'm going to mm-hmm. beat him. And he's five and he doesn't mm-hmm. have the hand-eye coordination. Yep. To not mm-hmm. be pouring his stuff without yep. spilling it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were telling me. I was like, "Oh, but that's normal for a little guy." Yeah, yeah. right. But I don't, I don't know this. He's my right. first kid, right. I, and you know, you you go get your own juice, and then you who spilled this juice mm-hmm. three days later when you mm-hmm. it to the floor. <laughs> but this is what my mother did to me, and it didn't make right. any sense. So that's the first thing I realized. The second thing I realized because. I had to control the yelling, which I still never uh-huh. controlled. <laughs> never controlled uh-huh. that. Not completely. Yeah. Because I had to control the yelling, it it allowed me to remove myself from the situation first. Find a rationale yep. for why I was Got punishing it. you. Explain to you your actions in a calm mm-hmm. yep. manner. There you go. And have a dialogue to you. I learned yeah. to calm the hell yes, down yes ma'am absolutely and listen to your child mm-hmm. number three mm-hmm. I learned that his I'm getting emotional Aww, Gosh, it's okay, okay. It's okay. I, I, I learned that punishments didn't need to be punitive yep. My job was to correct mm-hmm. his behavior. There you go. You nailed it. He wasn't doing stuff just to challenge my yep. authority. Yep. Yep. And I should not be beating him out of my own you frustration. Got it, you just said a whole word. You said a whole entire word. Yep. You got it. Wow. So once I did that, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. crap. Like, mm-hmm. why were they beating mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Like, beatings don't... Like, you, your whole job yeah. is to correct yep. behavior. beatings don't change behavior. It makes kids no. angry and resentful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. They don't change behavior. So, unless they are doing something that is a safety mm-hmm. issue... Because, mm-hmm. like I said, I will still spank mm-hmm. you if mm-hmm. I have to. I, I'm I'm not I'm I why are you yeah. doing this? 
Like I had to, I, I had to spank my mm-hmm. nephew. You know, not we not not that mm-hmm. long ago, but he he way bigger than me now, so it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> but he's like strong as an ox, and he was hitting mm-hmm. stuff, and he was mm-hmm. like it took me and mm-hmm. my son to restrain, restrain oh him. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And we were only doing it because he was a safety yeah. issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. But if it's not an extreme case of something like that, like, why are you beating these children? Wow. I mean, I I get emotional about it, too, because in some circles that I travel, some friends that I have, um, the pushback that I get, and I take it because I feel uh, justified in my position, but the pushback that I get and, and thinking about family members who still believe in spanking it it, it's Mm -hmm. it's painful it is painful because like you said what people don't understand is that that the whole purpose of of disciplining a kid is to teach a lesson and spanking just doesn't teach a lesson It, it doesn't um so it's really ineffective um and it just, you know, we have to be creative with our kids. Yes, they can push and pluck our last nerve, but we still have to be creative in how we go about teaching the lesson so that we don't do any further harm to them. And, and that really is, I think, the key to remember for people who are listening is that we don't want to do harm to a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And um, in most instances, banking does does harm a kid, um, whether or not it's psychological or physical or both, it, it, it hurts a kid. And like I said, I was spanked as a child, um, but my most traumatic memories were my brother being spanked. I mean, that was that was very mm-hmm. unpleasant to, to watch him be beat, really, with a, with a belt. That was, that was not pleasant at all. So, you know, here I am, a full-grown adult, but I look back on that and go, oh, wow, that just, that shouldn't happen. So, um, Lessons learned, and hopefully people will have open minds that um, there are other ways to teach kids lessons rather than inflicting physical um, pain on them. But you know what the funny thing the funny thing is, is the thing that most people say when you tell them not to spank and spare the rod yep. to a child. Yep, yep. And number one, a rod is for yep. sheep. Yep. And if you know about sheep herding, which most people mm-hmm. don't, but my family mm-hmm. has a farm. <laughs> the rod is to yes. guide the sheep. The Precisely. rod has a hook yes. on it so you can yes. pull them back from danger. Yes. yes. It is used to guide. Yeah. It is not used yeah, to beat them. Exactly. Exactly. And the funny thing about that is the person that told me that was my mama oh, who used to be me. Interesting. Yeah. The contradictions. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Yep. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you about how to foster resilience in children. I, I know from my studies and in preparing for this show, I was thinking about my own upbringing and um, teachers and mentors who have fostered resilience in me growing up in, in Bed-Stuy, mm. Brooklyn, the old yeah, Bed-Stuy, yep. <laughs> uh, which was an all-black yep. everything. We had black, I had black minister, I had black teachers, I had black principals. Yep. 
you know, black city councilmen. Like I knew everybody in the neighborhood. And so having coming from a community like that and then moving to Alexandria, Virginia, where there was black nothing. Right. <laughs> was black nothing right, right. really. Um I did have a teacher there who was from Brooklyn, New York. Shout out to Miss Farisella. I hope she's still alive. Um, who had my whole life planned for me and she was literally the only person in my life who was like, You're gonna go wow, to college. Nick. You're super yep. smart and yep. you're gonna make it. Yay. <laughs> and so you know, having dealt with a lot of trauma growing up that I didn't know was mm-hmm. trauma. And being exposed to a lot of things that I wasn't, shouldn't have, and that could have gone against me. Yep. In in how I turned yeah. out. Yeah. Right. Can you explain to people how yeah. to foster resilience yep. in children? So, my thinking and feeling about that is that kids are not naturally resilient, and we shouldn't expect them to be to be able to just bounce back because as adults. We can't do that. So the way that we foster resilience in children is, one, nurturance, emotional nurturance, providing them with safety, um, and that we, we know that bad things happen in this world, right? We can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't protect our kids from all bad things. But when a child is exposed to trauma or something negative is to be nurturing to that child and reassuring to that child. So those are really important things that because when kids don't feel safe in the world, um, it creates anxiety and and a feeling of, um, you know, not of not being safe. Right. So making Mm -hmm. sure that when a child has experienced something that has been negative in their lives is to um, is to nurture them, but also teaching kids survival skills um, about how to make good decisions, how to trust their intuition. So that helps kids as they grow up because they're being taught skills Bible to be able to deal with and manage things that are uh, inevitable that are going to happen in life because life happens, they, bad things happen. And so it's not a very difficult concept, um, but it is something that we have to be mindful of that when our kids are exposed to trauma or unexpected stress is that we're comforting, nurturing, and we teach them the skills that they need in order to be able to survive. Um, and unfortunately, on that note, I'm going to have to go because I have to go to a football game for my stepson um, who's playing um, today in, for his college. <laughs> okay. okay. One, one uh-huh. last question. What does it mean to be a black therapist to you? What does oh, it's, it mean? it's an honor to be a black therapist. Um, it's an honor to be a healer uh, and to be seen as trusted professional in our communities who can help people to grow and to and to learn Uh, you know the whole spanking thing is really about teaching people and helping people to see that there's other alternatives in their lives okay yeah well thank you for coming on we've been talking about this forever i feel like i know you know you since you're in all of my groups And everybody's like, um, oh, you're going to be my mentor. You're going to be my mentor. I'm just secretly watching. Like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I got her. <laughs> well, it was my pleasure. But definitely, Nick. I want to thank you for having you on. Tell the people how they can find they you. They can um, go to my website, um, thecenterforchilddevelopment.com. 
or if they're a clinician, they can um, find my Facebook page by just searching for clinicians of color. And um, yeah, so that's how they can find me. Okay. So once again, thank you guys for listening. We want to also thank our guest, Lisa Savage, for coming on to the show today to talk about how to provide mental health interventions to your children. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episodes, guys. Be well. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com, and on the show's website, Black Therapist podcast.com and don't forget if you want to send us any general feedback show suggestions uh, show topics or guest ideas please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com thank you be well